Nabra Talk is brought to you by Nabra Productions. Nabra Talk is brought to you by Nabra Productions. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes at Nabra Talk for all of our latest news, updates, and episodes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Nabra Talk, the most culture-shifting podcast on the planet. I'm Gene the Genius, and alongside with me is my co-host, Saad Guru. And we have a special guest in the building with us today. He is um, he's an educator, a singer, an entrepreneur. Give it up for Jalil, a.k.a. Jarvis Jordan, joining us today. Yo, 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 yo. Hey. Jarvis in the building. Let's go, man. Brick City in the house. Hey, let's go. Um, so thank you for coming on Nava Talk, my brother. Um, we, we have a lot to discuss today. Um, and I understand it's Black History Month. Um, I hope you guys been, you know, showing some love. Like power, like power. Uh, for sure, for sure. So, <laughs> and and we all know that Black History Month is a time where we shed light and success on the success and greatness of our brothers and sisters. But is it crazy to say that some historical black figures are slightly overrated? We'll find out though. We'll we'll discuss that later on. But first and foremost, you know I got to go into my, you know I got to go into my genius of the week. My genius of the week is where I give props to all the positive things that's going on, whether it be a business, an entity, or a person. Um, and this week, uh, I want to give a shout out to the Fresh Start program of New Jersey. So basically, what this program does is it enables participating libraries to provide reentry support and services to citizens returning to their home communities after being uh, paroled or after completing their uh, prison terms. So the project aims to position public libraries as key collaborations in strengthening the, uh, the work of government agencies and nonprofit organizations that help returning citizens find jobs, um, acquire stable housing, and complete other essential tasks. So participating libraries will serve as reconnection centers in partnership with the new state uh, parole board and will provide community resource fairs. Now, the grant provides funding for about 50 people at each participating library to take the GED exam, um, GED prep programs, and training software will be available for, the, uh, for those preparing to take the exam and a lot of other great benefits. So my question regarding this whole thing, because this is, this is pretty cool. This is pretty dope because we all understand anyone who served any type of time in prison. I have. You have. I, I didn't know that. that. So how how could you how would you be able to relate to this um to this whole program then? And I'm not going to say that I had that I can actually relate because I didn't actually go to prison for say, but I did go to jail and I had to stint in jail. But for how long? Not long, probably about a good week or so. Okay, it's still know, that's long it's still time. Yeah, long that's a week. Me, yeah, I never would have expected myself. Mm-hmm. But um, I think anyone you know that in the system and coming back to civilization, you know what I'm saying, as a, you know, as a citizen, still our citizen, I think that what this program is doing, I think that is actually crucial because our men and our women, let's not forget our women that's incarcerated either. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard sometimes when they get out and, you know, they can't find, you know, means to take care of their families. And these are the people that they've been taken away from for years and for years and years. And a lot of times, you know what I'm saying, they're coming back to, you know, the distresses and all the agony of 
You know what I'm saying? Their family's being disappointed in them for whatever reasons. They might have children. Their children are disappointed or hurt because they wasn't there or they missed out on crucial times, or crucial moments. So mm-hmm. it, it's very crucial that when they come back into society that we have aid or we have the resources to make sure that they could benefit, you know what I'm saying, like the rest of us that, you know, had our freedom, yeah. you know what I'm saying, or that was out, you know what I'm saying, and able to provide for our families, you know what I'm saying, so... I think that it's necessary that, you know, we provide that aid or those resources for them to, you know, get back, you know what I'm saying, into the field and be able to provide for their families and be able to, you know, really make a difference and even change, you know, the dialogue that was once, you know, said about them, or once heard about them. Yeah. So it's crucial. This reminds me of a time um, of someone that I met when I used to take the bus to work uh, a few weeks, a few years ago. I would, um, I would wait on, actually right over here, right up the street. I'm on Broad Street every morning, um, and this is when I used to work at uh, a former job where you had to dress up to go to work. So um, the guy would be like, yo, what's going on, brother? You know, how's everything going? He would just start talking to me, and we'd get on the bus. He was like, bro, um, only thing I can tell you is just don't go to jail, man. So I've been, I, I, was, I, I spent time like 20 years ago. I still can't find a decent job, a decent job. I got to work like five just to make um, a still below average salary, you know, and he was just saying like, um, they, they won't expunge my, my criminal record because of what he did. So I feel like, and I don't agree, you know, yeah, people make mistakes, right? People make mistakes, but I think as human nature, you know, we're all humans. We all deserve a second chance. Um, we all deserve to get normal resources just to have at least a decent living, right? Why does someone who already spent their time serving for what they did, why do they have to suffer again once they get back out into society? And I don't think that's fair because those people, because uh, when they working on whatever job they get, they still got to pay taxes too. So if they paying taxes just like us, then they deserve a fair chance to progress in life just as anybody else. Some people, they just didn't get caught. Absolutely. You know? And that happens every day. So, you know, but I, I, I'm kind of biased when it comes to it, but I feel like everything in general, anything in life, it has its place. So yeah. I feel like jail has its place. And, 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 I, and I say I'm kind of biased on it because unless you're a rapist or a, a serial killer or you're someone touching children, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I feel as though, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, a topic that you can't touch. Cause right. It's like, you know, you, we don't know why people do the things that they do. Right, and right. You got a lot of people behind bars suffering, you know what I'm saying, taking away from their families, their children's, or whatever the case may be, but for crimes that they didn't even commit, mm-hmm. or for crimes that weren't even that serious in our mind. You know what I'm saying? So they're doing all this hard time, and we see a lot of people out on the streets, you know, right. rapists and killers that, what you just said, you know, some people, the difference is that they just don't get caught. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not out there. So I, I, I'm kind of, you know, biased on the situation because, like I said, I feel like it has its place for, for those that, you know, actually do, you know, heavy shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, committing crimes like, you know, um, touching children, things that automatically yeah. I feel things, like, you, yeah. know, you should. You There's know, no. up to me, I feel yeah. like that's the death penalty. Right, yeah. But, you know what I'm saying? Shit like that is just off limits. Mm-hmm. But I feel like other stuff... If you, Who's to say? If you don't mind me asking, what did you spend time for for that one week? You don't got to answer that if you don't want I, to. I'll answer it because I'm very honest and I'm very, you know, um, transparent. Um, 
I was married yeah. and I was married early on in my life, um, around 23, 24. Um, oh, before you go on, let me give you some class for that. Cause they ain't getting married. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm all about love. I, I love love. So, you know, it, it didn't take nothing for me to get married because I'm a relationship type guy. Mm-hmm. So um, I got married very early on. Um, somebody that I was with for years and years and years, you know, helped to raise a child. Um, I came into the picture when my stepdaughter was about nine to 10 months old. So I actually took her on as my child. So that was my first experience of actually raising a child or being there for a child and in that capacity of always being present. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it took, it took its turn, you know, um, but took its turn. Um, and we were young, you know, and a lot of things in that time, I tried to blame her. I wanted to put all the blame on her because I just mm-hmm. wasn't used to, you know, some of the things that, you know, I was facing at the time. But when you sit back and you kind of free yourself from all that, you know what I'm saying? And you kind of understand life and you actually grow in your wisdom. You actually sit down and you kind of take acknowledgement for your parts in it too, even if it wasn't as severe as the things that she was doing. But just your lack thereof and the things that you could have done better or the things that you didn't do, you actually take that time out to sit down and understand. So I just think that um, one of the reasons why I went to jail is because, you know, she was caught out there cheating and it, it, it was on multiple occasions. And, you know, in, in that time, you know, what I'm saying I didn't realize who I really was. I think I kind of, you know, um, suppressed my power and who I was as a man because I was trying to make sure that. She had everything that she needed. You know mm. what I'm saying? She wasn't in school. She had dropped out of school because she had a baby in her teenage years. And I wanted to become, and I was, that driving force. You're going to go back to school. And, you know, I'll mm-hmm. keep the baby if necessary. And I'll do this and I'll do that. So I became very much a part of her growth. But in the meantime, I depressed myself. And I forgot about myself. So I just tell everybody, you know what I'm saying, in any relationship that you're getting in, in, into, don't ever lose yourself. Don't lose yourself in no relationship. You know what I'm saying? Always reserve that time for you. You know, um, a relationship is good or one like that. And you and a partner are supposed to be a help meet. But always reserve that, that space for you to where you're strong enough in yourself. To where if that person was to leave you today or tomorrow, you're still strong enough to move the fuck on. Mm-hmm. That's respect. But, um, yeah. But basically, it was a contagious it, it was a contagious situation that just turned real, real fucking toxic. It, it, <laughs> it, it turned to a point to where cops had to get involved because, you know, I walked in on, you know, some cheating, some bumping and grinding going on, and I'm a black man, so... This you know that day go, goes too, too well. You know it. what I'm saying? So it, mm-hmm. it became one of them shits that eventually you'll probably see later on in life in a movie or a documentary. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. We're going to speak that into existence. Word, word. But um, it's something that I really don't talk about because we actually cool peoples now. And I've forgiven her or wasn't like that. Um, It's a situation to where, you know, we won't revisit. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But, you know, I'm free from it. She's good. You know what I'm saying? All is well. I wish her all the best. God bless. That's That's all to it. Hey man, we all have experiences and that's what makes us human. Absolutely. That's what makes us realistic. And one of my key phrases of this chapter in my life is called, this is the reality that we're living in. Um, ever since the passing of, you know, Kobe, that's just been, you know, in my mind because it's reality and whatever you do in life, that's just the reality of it now. We do have the power to control our reality Absolutely. based on how we Want, want it to go, how we want to, how we want to control it and everything. So, um, we, like I said, we all have our mistakes. We, the whole key is to learn from them. Absolutely. I was just talking to my friend today. She's very, um, she always puts herself in this 
place where she 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 uh feels like she hurts people when she really doesn't and she feels like she she still holds on to things that she's done in the past i'm talking about like young teenage years and she feels bad still and my mom telling her is like look what you did may have been wrong it may not have been wrong but at this age now um when you look back at it yes you feel sorry and the only reason why you feel so bad is because you're such a good person you feel bad for the person that you hurt and then on top of that you it's just a growth thing like i think what you're feeling now is it's all that getting out of your system it's just getting out of it but you got to be able to let that shit go yeah because in order to grow you got to be able to let go of past hurts you got to be able to forgive yourself for the hurt that you caused on other people exactly you know what i'm saying it's all part of growing pain Mm -hmm. we all make mistakes we were all young once and you know a lot of us are still young young adults however you want to call it even if you're middle age or elderly person or wasn't like that. We are going to make mistakes. Is is the facts of life? You know what I'm saying? It it is it, different levels. You know what I'm saying? And it's different. You know ways we we go about things and we go through different seasons. But we all go through things. And in order to reach the next level of potential or that next level of success or wasn't like that, you have to be able to go through things and you have to be able to forgive yourself and you have to be able to move forward from things. Um, sometimes you know you have to go back and you have to revisit some things and you have to go back and apologize to some things. And then after that, you got to let it go. Yeah. Leave it right where it is and let it go. And sometimes the apology that you give, it may not be warranted. A person right. may not want it. But as long as you know that you did what you had to do on your part to extend it, they don't have to accept exactly. it. As long as you did on your part in order for you to be free from the situation and for you to be able to move on and do what you need to do with your life. Yeah, and that's the concept of forgiveness. You forgive not for them, but for yourself. For yourself. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so big shout out to um, the Fresh Start program. Um, I love reading up on things like this because sometimes we as uh, people who walk outside in society every day, we're free, but there's still somebody out there who can't even get a job at McDonald's simply because he did something 10, 15 years ago. So I would say, you know, keep it up. And anyone out there who is, who has a, you know, who has a record, look into it. You know, we all got iPhones, we have laptops, you got Wi-Fi. Go on your computer, look up Fresh Start Program near me. See how you can get involved. See how you can get some assistance into getting your life back on track. So that's my genius of the week. And big shout out to them. Shout out to them. And that'll do it for my genius of the week. Up next is the People's Corner with the one and only Ja Rich Jordan here on Nobber Talk. What's up, Nahabra family? It's Jalil Jarich Jordan. I'm in the building with Gina Genius Side, the guru, only on Nabra Talk. Check out my latest single, What Would I Do? Jam's Anthem, available now on all digital streaming services. Welcome back to Nabra Talk. I'm Gene the Genius. I'm Saad the Guru. And we have with us today Jalu Rich. I'm sorry, I keep getting wrong. Ja Rich. We just say Ja Rich. We got Ja Rich in the building. Um, and he is here with us on the People's Corner. So you're now tuned in to the People's Corner, the number one place to make the biggest connections with the world's most influential figures. On our show today, of course, like I just mentioned, um, he has influenced the lives of many students, right? He's the author of Through My Eyes, 
He's also created, um, he's also earned credit for his work with A Raisin in the Sun and Poetry Out Loud. So again, please welcome Jarich Jordan. Now we had we we had a little glimpse of you during our genius conversation, genius of the week conversation. Now we really gonna get a good understanding of who you are, where you come from, and what your life is all about. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. So the first and foremost, you grew up in North New Jersey, born and raised. A lot of people, a lot of people grew up in Newark, um, and 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 everyone has. Anyone outside of North New Jersey or even outside of New Jersey, they have this one perception of Newark for the most part. But what was it like growing up in Newark for you? And how has Newark changed over the years? I mean, it was a beautiful situation for me. Because even though I, I was born and raised in North New Jersey, of course, you know, uh, uh, in the city, urban community, the hood, you know, what most people would call it, the ghetto, you know, outsiders would call it. It, it was home for me. You know, so even with all the killings and the, the statistics on killings and all the negative that goes on in the community, you know, um, and a lot of times, a lot of things would be going on right in my backyard. A lot of things would be happening right around the corner from me or right near to my, my, my resting place. But it didn't really phase me. And, and, I, and I think that was due to the parents that I had, too. My parents had me in the teenage years, 16, 17 years old. You know what I'm saying? I was at my parents' high school graduation at Malcolm X Shabazz. And I, I in, in simpler words, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, I think it was all in upbringing and what my parents kept me away from. So even though I was exposed to a lot of things and I was right there in the midst, I also had parents that, you know, were very, you know, keen on education and, you know, making sure that I had a life that wasn't, so much of the norm or what you would expect when you were here, a kid growing up in North New Jersey or so much of what we see today. So um, shout out to my parents, Randy and Felicia, like, you know, cause they, you know, they really did do an awesome, awesome, awesome job. You know what I'm saying? That I think with raising me and making sure that I did all the right things. Now, of course I grew up and I strayed away and I followed behind my friends and I thought I wanted to do this and I thought I wanted to sell drugs and I thought I wanted to be in a gang and I wanted to fit in with this crowd and I wanted to fit in because I, I, I kind of grew up being a church boy. You know, like I said, I was up under, even though I was around my parents who were young, you know, a, a lot of the help that they got was from my grandparents who was a little older. And I come from, a, you know, um, church family on both sides, you know, um, both sets of grandparents, you know what I'm saying, was involved in the church in somewhat way. My father's parents, you know, were musicians and preachers. And then my mom's mom, my grandmother, you know, um, she was very much involved in the church. You know what I'm saying? So. I was in the church all my life. So I had that positive influence too of being in the church. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of what I saw in the streets, I also, you know what I'm saying, received that, that church upbringing. So in high school and all throughout life, even when I got to college, everybody used to call me preacher job because I was always that person. I was always that person that was bringing some type of light or positivity to everybody. So when people be going through, you know what I'm saying? And not saying that I didn't go through, but they knew they was going to get something from me. They knew they was going to get something real from me. They knew they, they was going to get something authentic. And even if it was too harsh, they was just like, ah, oh, we don't like talking to him because he's too real and we young. And even though he's saying some good shit and the right shit, we don't want to hear all that. But I was that dude, you know what I'm saying? Way ahead of my time. Um, always was told I was ahead of my time, way ahead of my time. Um, 
But Nort played a, a major part because I believe that all the things that I've witnessed, all the things that I've seen, even with my friends and my surroundings, it made me want better. It made me want to, you know, be successful and do all that I could so that I could come back and I could raise awareness to some of the things that we lacked in the community. And that's why I like giving back. That's why I educate the students of Newark. That's why I teach. You know what I'm saying? Um, as much as I sing and I love the stage and I love entertaining, you know, it's nothing better to me or better for me than giving back. You know what I'm saying? So um, Newark has done a lot of good and, and, and there's a lot of good that we don't see. You know, a lot of times when even people do interviews or podcast interviews, even talking to Newark, it's always the negative of Newark. Yeah, well, we know the issues that we have. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's out there. We see it on the news. We see the killings. We see the, um, the statistics. We see all of that going on. But there's a lot of good stuff going on, too. And that's a lot of stuff that don't get the light, you know, shown on. So um, I can't really sit up here and say because I was born in the hood or, I'm, I, you know, I still walk those streets. I still. And, yeah, we see a lot of things daily. But it, it, for me, it's everyday life. But for me, instead of always talking about the problem, you know what I'm saying, what can we do to bring awareness or get a solution to the problem? Because there's a lot of good stuff going on, but who's tapping in to really, you know, um, help, you know, usher these gifts or usher these ideas into fruition? So it, it, it's a lot that can be done, but it's a lot that has been done. And there's a lot of good that is coming out of North. So, That's good. So what would you say excites you, excites you the most about North today? I, I'm going to really say this. What excites me about Newark today, and a lot of people don't pay attention to it, but I realized in the last couple of years, the last, I'll say, probably four or five years, I've been seeing a surplus, uh, uh, a crazy amount of black and brown kids and black and brown guys, boys, young men going to college and graduating with bachelor's degrees, you know, Years and years ago, even when I was going to college, you know, for a lot of people, it wasn't even an option or it wasn't a thought. It was let me graduate, you know what I'm saying, high school, and then I'm done. You know what I'm saying? Only certain kids or the ones that you probably would expect to go to, you know, college, you know what I'm saying, or the ones that was really excelling in school or the ones that didn't have a problem. Those are the ones that was going to college. Everybody else was going to get a regular nine to five job, whether it was McDonald's at some type of warehouse, a temp job, something, you know what I'm saying, drug dealing. It, it, it was something. So in those days, everybody wasn't going to college. You know what I'm saying? So if somebody said they graduated from college, they was probably like the first in their family to go or first generation college graduate. Still, still going still, on. Still going on to this day. But what I started to see in Newark was, and I think because we started pushing education a little more, you know what I'm saying? And I think the aid was out there. And I think a lot of black men started becoming mentors to guys, you know, young, young guys. I see a lot of black boys going to college now and graduating or whatnot like that. And some of them, these are like, I hate using the term, but it is what it is. The, the hoodest of the hoodest dudes, you know, graduating with degrees now. So before, it would probably be like the guys that you probably didn't think was the coolest, probably the square guy, right, you know yeah. what I'm saying? The guy that didn't get all the shine, you know what I'm saying? Or he was too square, he was too, you know, regular, you know what I'm saying? The girls probably didn't even really give him too much play. But now you even seeing the hood dudes going to school and getting an education because now girls want a guy that got an education. You know, now the, the, the preppy guys and the guys that, you know, talking sweet to the women and everything like that, they, they, they getting all the pull. So now the hood guys going to school and they getting degrees. You know what I'm saying? So all I right. just think that's a, that's a good thing that's happening right now. You can be hood and educated. I always say be versatile. I think yeah. I'm both. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm both. You know what I'm saying? One day you'll see me with my suit and tie. And the other day you'll see me with my Tams and I'm thugging it out. So yeah. you could be both. You're supposed to be both. You're supposed to be versatile. You're supposed to, you know, and shit. 
however way you feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's what the fuck you're supposed to do. Word you know up. What I'm saying, period. In our community, especially in our urban and inner city community, you know what I'm saying? That we're trained and programmed to think a certain way. We're supposed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do that. So a lot of times, you know what I'm saying, like me, I, I think I'm a real fashionable dude, you know what I'm saying? And I'll push the limit on certain things, certain things that you won't see most guys wearing, I will wear. And I think that will bring the notion to most people. Great side note, side note, side note. I worked with this man. <laughs> I remember the first day I, I seen him. Oh, oh, wow. Ah, I was like, oh, he fly as hell. Oh, he maintained that flyness every day, bro. I'll never I, forget his birthday. My man had like, yeah, on the red bird coat with the rag to match. He was wiping his forehead with red. I'm like, yo, my god, he got it. He had a, a red rag. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was about to pull the red carpet out for him. Pastor Jaw, preacher Jaw. I, I, I try to do a little something, something, but um, he succeeds. But I, I, I'm just saying, but. Where we come from, you know what I'm saying, on the streets, you know what I'm saying, uh, and according to how I would dress or the standards of how I dress, you know what I'm saying, which is according to the day, however way I want to feel, you know what I'm saying, I just not to coordinate my shit. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying, where we come from, if you dress a certain way, you know what I'm saying, gay, you homosexual, you this, you that, or it's the question, you know what I'm saying, that, that arises. And it's like, nah, why I can't just be a dude in the hood that like to dress or that, you know, is very well groomed or one like that. So I'm like, we have to get out of that thinking and labeling people because of how they express themselves through their, their, their dressing right. or their language or they talk or mm-hmm. how they express themselves that there's something else outside of what they really are. It's funny you mentioned that my homeboy, when he first met his girl's um, father, he thought he was gay. Because he was well-groomed, clean-cut, and approached them in a former matter. And there was, he was like, I don't like him. See? It's like, everyone in the like, why? why yeah, he's, no not, he's, not, he's not hood enough. He don't have no edge. He's not, he not tough or nothing. But yeah, I don't like him. It's usually the opposite. Like, but it's like, <laughs> where the fuck does that come from? You know what I'm saying? Who said you're not too edgy? And, and but when you really think about it, it's like, where does that come from? That even that imagery or that thought of, I don't like a person because of how they're coming across. Is that trained behavior? Where does that come from? I think, it, I think, it's, I it think it's part of black history, honestly. But it's another way, too, in, in shining the light, and, and I hate to do it, of how we as black people tear each other down. You know what I'm saying? We, we like to talk all the rah-rah of, of of uplifting each other and encouraging each other because it sounds good on social yeah. media when we write the posts and everything. Mm-hmm. But in our real lives, are we uplifting our brothers and our sisters? No, nah, we not. Because then when you have introductions as such as the example that you just gave, we automatically formulate an opinions without really actually getting to understand a person or knowing a person. And how can you actually call a person something and you don't know who they are? Bruh. No, I had to really just think about the question you just asked. And I feel like I think it comes from bully culture. Yes. Yeah, yes. think about it. That yeah. comes from bully culture. Yeah. Hunting somebody that's an easy target or easy mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's soft. He's weak. Oh, but instead of looking at it as this young man or this person was raised right, Word. or this person has a sense of morale, right. or this person has a standard, and I would want my daughter to be with somebody that has a sense of morale and a standard and a man that knows where he's going and what he wants out of life. <laughs> 
So when you say shit like that to me, because I I, I met your parents yeah. and I shook your father's hand and I shook his hand sternly mm-hmm. and I looked him in the face and I gave him a, a, a formal greeting. How are you, sir? How was your day? Oh, he weak. He gay. <laughs> like Damn, pops. Make it make Word. sense, bro. Make it make sense. But that's, I, that's new to me. I usually hear the opposite. Like he got a little bit too much ads or he like he from the streets or something. I never heard somebody say, oh. But it depends is, which, which it, family you're going into. It depends on which family and who you're dealing with. But this yeah. is what I'm saying. You know, we have a problem. And that's why I said in the black community, black culture, we have a problem like we like talking about what the white man does to us tearing us down and a lot of people don't you know put emphasis on what the hell we do to ourselves yeah you know what i'm saying like we sit down and we talk about what the black man do to us how they talk about us how they view us but how do we view ourselves no really because i how do we view ourselves we don't even uplift each other we won't even support each other because we feel as though we're in competition with each other Mm -hmm. so if i got a business and i know i could benefit from you or you could benefit from me you know what I'm saying? And I see you successful. I won't even want to touch you or even ask you nothing because I'm going to feel like you're going to steal my ideas. You're going to take away from me and then he's going to become more successful than me. That's fucked up thinking. Yeah. I should be able to grow from you, learn from you, and be able to go back to the drawing board and take whatever it is that I went, wherever I went wrong and, and, and grow from your practices and improve. Yeah. A lot of people don't even like sharing the wealth because they feel as though if I share my tools and my Jews... You know what I'm saying? They going over, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They going to pass. They, 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 they going to use all of what I got. And, and it shouldn't be that thinking. It should be, you know, we pulling each other up. You know what I'm saying? I wash it back, you wash mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I was very Muslim. So I was always taught, like, it's, Prophet Sallallahu says, the man who gives charity never loses wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I see that. But from what you say, I see that. Cause the question was to give and help each other out. We build together. We're not, we're not losing money. Because what's the part of this life? What's the real part of this life? This I knows that is going to make you think. What's the real purpose, purpose mm-hmm. of this life? When you die, all that shit don't mean nothing. All the materialistic things, all the jewelry, all the money, all the cars, you ain't taking it with you. It can't fit with you in that casket. It ain't going with you. You know what I'm saying? So what's your legacy? What are you leaving behind? What Jews are you leaving behind? What businesses are you leaving for the next generation to continue to expand off of? What are you doing? Oh, well, like that. So we want to talk about black history. That's black history. You know what I'm saying? Because what legacy are you leaving? What are you leaving for your children? What are you leaving for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and something that could stick around for years and years and years and years to come? Oh, well, like that. What foundation are you laying? But instead, we tear each other down. You know what I'm saying? So it... it all this shit, it, it, it matters, but we have to get to a point of being mentally sane and mentally cautious or one like that to understand what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Change the dialogue or one like that to really understand what's the purpose of life. You know what I'm saying? It's to shed light. It's to mm-hmm. help your fellow man or whatnot like mm-hmm. that. Whatever you have that can help me level up, you know what I'm saying? Do everything that's in your power. It ain't about being weak. It ain't about, a, it ain't about being a stepping stool for anyone, but it's about... What Jews can you leave behind to help your community grow, to help the black community grow? You know what I'm saying? Um, to, to bring back generational wealth into our communities. What can we do? So you're an educator, right? Um, what, first of all, what exactly do you teach as an educator? 
I teach everything because right now I'm a sub. Um, I'm a New Jersey certified sub. So, but I've been in the same building for uh, about five years now, 13th Avenue. Um, so I float. But uh, a majority of the population that I dealt with for the first beginning years was the special needs population, which you know is you know um, a population that's very dear to my heart. Everybody knows you. Know, I'm an advocate for the special needs children. Um, you know that I'm very much involved with the special needs population. Um, so um, yeah, so that's. That's, you know, the main, you know, places or the main place that I've touched in my education, you know, in my educational background thus far. It's kind of always been within a special needs population. Um, but I always say I'm not just an educator to one grade level. And and this guy, Mr. Majid, could tell you, I I I'm utilized all throughout my building or whatever mm-hmm. like that. And I'm known all throughout my building. Everybody kind of knows who Mr. R is or one like that because I kind of, you know, am that person for discipline. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you know, I, I'm that staple for discipline. You know, I show a lot of love and I give a lot of love, but I'm also stern. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I try to incorporate that, you know, especially being, you know, from Newark and our children from Newark because it's a lack of discipline. You know what I'm saying? And, and, I, always, and I always say this. If you don't have discipline in control or if you don't have a sense of structure, Teaching is very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. So yeah. what what would you say was an eye opener for you? you started um working in the education system. Discipline. Lack of discipline. Because I grew up in the North Public School system and I also went to charter school. Um, but when I was coming up, and I'll probably say we because I'm pretty sure we all in the same age bracket, but when I was coming up, you know, school had structure. You didn't go into schools and you didn't see kids just in hallways. You didn't see kids just sitting in window sills. You didn't see kids really talking back that much. And if you did, your teachers was just as much, you know, um, your parents. So they was able to whoop your ass or pop you or whatnot like that and still call home and tell your parents or whatnot like that. And if you had the type of parents that I had, they wasn't about to curse out the teacher or ask the teacher, why you put your hands on my child? It was. Why was you doing what the hell you was doing in school today? And it was followed behind another ass whooping. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it took a village. When we say it, it takes a village, that was the village. You know what I'm saying? Even if you was outside playing and somebody else saw you doing something that you had no business doing out in the street or whatever like that. Oh, they was going to get you. They was going to tell your parents and then you was going to get it again. So now is, you know, um, the fear now because kids know so much about dyphus and they know you know what i'm saying that, you know that everything is an abuse issue you can't even put your finger on the child without it being abuse or one like that and kids know that because you know in a sense it's being taught now because you have all these bullying programs you have all these programs that come to school and talk to children about this so everything is labeled as abuse now so i think that's one of the things that really was a shocker to me the lack of discipline in schools now and the fear that i think it put even in teachers and educators because Somebody like me and, and Majid see me in school. Uh, a, a lot of that, a lot of a lot of that stuff, and at a lot of times, I don't even care about all that. You could throw that law stuff in my face all you want. I'm still gonna give it to you raw, and I'm still like, like, what's going on? Who the hell are you talking to? You know what I'm saying? We adults, they're children, or whatnot like that, and we have to set a standard. So as much compassion as I give, and as much as I'm understanding to a lot of the the circumstances that our children have to face. On a day-to-day basis, a lot of our children come to school, you know what I'm saying, unfed or hungry because they don't really eat at home. So you see a lot of kids coming to school, and they're scarfing meals. I mean, they're, like, dogging meals out, but it's because they don't really eat at home. 
So a lot of that time, they're not coming to school. They're not really thinking about getting an education. They ain't thinking about opening up a book or doing your paper or your ditto. They ain't, they ain't thinking about none of that. They thinking about, I want breakfast and lunch. And if I'm in after school program, I'm gonna get a snack. You know what I'm saying? And I need all these meals because once I get home, it's nothing. So a lot of times we don't know. So we also have to be conscious and we have to be aware that all of our students, you know what I'm saying, come with different needs. And, they, and, and a lot of times it's not automatically said to us. So you got to use your discernment and you got to kind of understand. You got to sometimes read behind the lines and you got to really have a passion for education and for children. You know what I'm saying? Because if you have a passion for it, the discernment automatically come if you have a heart for it. That's really good. Um, so what would you say you've learned the most about yourself since working in that education? Because you've, you say, you, you know, you've seen th there's been issues about discipline. You see the voice that, um, that's going on with kids not being fed at home. So now you guys have to take the responsibility of feeding them. What have you learned about yourself overall? That deep down inside, I'm a big ass teddy bear. <laughs> Deep down, I felt that I'm a big ass teddy bear. Got a soft spot for these kids, I, man. I, I really do because, as stern as I am and as tough as I think I am, you know, they have a way of gripping my heart and mm. really, you know, holding on to it. You know what I'm saying? They can make me mad one day, and it's like sometimes, and I always tell people, you know, I'm not perfect. I even tell my students, you know, sometimes I might yell just off rip because I'm just automatically just. It's just, it's just automatic reaction because, you know, you just don't know what to expect. And especially when you just got kids constantly all day, all day, just getting into things or whatnot like that. Sometimes your first reaction is just to automatically just start yelling. And sometimes we do it as educators because we're so frustrated, you know what I'm saying, with other things that's going on probably within the school. You know what I'm saying? That we take that frustration out on kids without actually giving them a voice or actually hearing what they have to say. So a lot of times I have to pull myself back from being the adult or thinking that I have so much power and I have power over them and not looking at them as if, you know, they human or whatnot like that and say, what's going on with you? Or really listening to what they have to say. And a lot of times when I do, I have to go back and I have to apologize. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and say, well, I did it and I said this because of this, but I apologize because I didn't have to come off like that. And, but that's why I tell a lot of my fellow educators, we have to listen to what these children are saying. If we really sit down and listen to what they're saying, we'll understand a whole lot about them and we'll understand uh, a lot of what they're facing on an everyday basis. And, 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 and it could turn the picture around. You know what I'm saying? The one picture that we're viewing or whatnot like that, and we're just saying, you know, they're bad or, you know, they're disrespectful. But let's, let's see why they're bad or whatnot like that. And it's okay for them to be bad, but let's see what we can do to kind of channel that energy or whatnot like that and, you know, make it work. You know what I'm saying? For the better, for the positive. Yeah. Now you you were awarded the um what was it, the Essex County Teamwork Award by County Executive Joseph D. Um DiVincenzo. Let's just call him Joe D. Joe D. Got a long Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did that you know, what did that award mean to you? Um, if it if it did mean anything to you. I don't really funny thing about it is that you know, throughout my life, ever since I was Primary, primary, secondary school, just ever since I've been, I've always received and was awarded different accolades, whether it was honor roll, perfect attendance, different shit. I was just always, you know, very different. But um, once I got to high school and I, and I received that award, you know, it was kind of different for me. But I'm going to honestly say, 
I don't really pay attention to awards and accolades because I'm really am, I really am a man of service. So a lot of the things that I do, I just naturally just do. It's in me to do. It's in my heart to do. And I just do it without the recognition. A lot of the things that always came to me, it wasn't because I knew I applied myself or I knew I was so great at it. It was be, it always came left field. So even that award, it came left field. I didn't know I was being nominated for it until I was told, you know, you have to be downtown, you know what I'm saying, at the courthouse or, you know, to the county exec building, you know what I'm saying, on this date at this time because you're being awarded this award. So, and I think that's what makes it so much special that I never really look for the recognition that comes with the work that I do. And I was in high school and I didn't realize, you know, the impact that I was making in my community at even a young age, all the things that I was involved in. I was just doing it. I didn't know I was a part of this. I didn't know that I had raised money for the March of Dimes. I didn't know I raised a certain amount of money or X, Y, and Z for breast cancer awareness. I didn't know I was, you know, raising money and providing toys for Toys for Tots. I didn't know I was doing, I was just doing it because I was just a, 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 a young man at the time of service. You know what I'm saying? Um, so a lot of the things that always came, those awards and everything, they were special and they were unique. Um, and, and, and boy, you know, being recognized do feel good, but I never really looked more into it. You know what I'm saying? I got it. I smile. Thank you so much. And then after that, I, I, I take it home and I put it away and I go right back to work. So it, 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 it didn't put no money in my community and then put no money in my pocket. So thank you. But I got work to do. But not taken away. You know, it always feels good to be recognized. But I think it, that award in particular, it just gave me a sense of community. I was doing the right thing by my community, by my fellow man, by my fellow, fellow brethren. I, I was doing the right thing in my community and people felt, you know, warranted to acknowledge me. I was so young and I was so involved in so many different projects. And I guess for even adults at that time, they couldn't fathom how you doing so many things. You're active in church. You active in school. I was in school, you know, a lot of evenings to about like that's when kids enjoyed being in school. I would be in school to about seven, eight o'clock. And, you know, you got different sports going on. You got different activities going on when kids actually love being in school. And it was a safe haven. So I was in school sometimes to the wee hours of the night, you know what I'm saying, before going home, because I was just always involved in something. So you're a man of, like, many dimensions. I know, like, you're an educator, you're a writer, you're a poet, but isn't your passion, like, music? Singing is my passion. That's my, that's my gift. That's my purpose. And, and, and if you think about it, you know, just an entertainer, I think I'm very well-rounded, but I have my, my strong suits. I, I, I. I believe I'm a good actor. I'm not great, but I know I am good. You know, um, the work that I've done shows for itself. Um, you know, I think I got a, a, a pretty good personality, so I think I got that acting bug. Um, and then my father's an actor. Um, but singing is my strong suit. That's my passion. You know what I'm saying? Music is very universal. It's been such a part of me ever since I was a kid. I come from singers. I come from musicians. My grandparents, like I said, were musicians and preachers. So um, my background comes from that church, that hard church, Pentecostal, foot stomping gospel music. Um, so um, when you think of the church and you think of singers, you know, what I'm saying it goes back to Newark. You think of a Newark legend, somebody like Whitney Houston, who, you know, was superstar phenomenon, you know, what I'm saying up there with Michael Jackson. And that the person that came right from Newark, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and her roots began in the church. So the same as me. So. Um, Singing has always just been my first love. It's just always been my first passion, but I always believed that I had to go to school and receive an education and always have a backup plan because it wasn't something that I looked at like it was going to be my token out or just the end-all, be-all. Now, it's still very much 
my my end goal. It's the work that I want to do. That's the work that I want to die doing. But I was always very smart, you know what I'm saying, to just mm-hmm. make sure that I had something else to fall back on and not be one of those people or, you know, uh, one of those young cats out here that's saying, I'm dependent on this contract or I'm dependent on this and I'm not going to make no regular money and I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to say regular money, money is money, but I'm not going to make no money, you know what I'm saying, because I want to be a starving artist. And when the person say a starving artist, they mean that shit, a starving artist. And I didn't want to be a starving artist. I wanted to be able to, you know, make some type of income to be able to live my everyday life. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got Ja Rich in the building, you guys. Don't go anywhere. We'll be peeling back the layers of black history when we come back. Thanks for tuning in into Naba Talk. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes at Naba Talk for all your latest news, updates, and episodes. Welcome back to Nabra Talk. I'm Genie Genius. I'm Saad the Guru. And we got a special guest in the building, educator, songwriter, poet, and entrepreneur, Jarish Jordan, is hanging out with us today. It's the unbiased segment on Nabra Talk. And in honor of Black History Month, we are peeling back the layers of Black history itself. Let's get it. All right. Um, ready to do this, Saad? Here we got it. All right. So we're going to give you guys a little background on where black history comes from so here we go black history month um first started out as negro history week by a prominent historian named carter g woodson in 1926 but even before negro history week was created carter g wilson partnered with a well-known minister named jesse e moreland and founded the association for the study of negro life and history an institution that was committed to researching and promoting the success and achievements of black americans and other african descent a few decades, uh, a few decades, proclamations were provided by mayors of cities from all over the country um, to recognize Negro History Week every year. By the late 1960s, with the help of the civil rights movement and a growing awareness of Black identity, Negro History Week had developed into Black History Month throughout many college campuses. President Gerald Ford officially acknowledged Black History Month in 1976, calling upon the public to seize the opportunity to honor the two often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Every year, the president decides on what the theme of Black History will be. For 2020, the theme is African American in the vote in honor of the 100th year anniversary of the 19th Amendment in 1920, allowing women of suffrage and the sesquicentennial of the 15th amendment in 1870 giving back men the right to vote all right so we can open the floor up my first question to you guys for black history is what comes to your mind when black history is brought up one of the rules incorporated in the world history um and then just the essence black people stock which we're made of who we are you know what i'm saying just as a people as a culture um where we come from where we originated from um and just all the gifts and talents that make us who we are you know black people we the first um kings and queens and we some amazing people we some amazing people a lot of people try to emulate us so um the essence of black people when i think about black history I think of the stock and the essence. I think of black history. Me? When I was young, I always seen myself as a, a growing evolutionary, someone who would learn or find a way to make a change in my community and empower it in a way that was extremely influential. 
when I think of black history, I think of my drive, my fire, everything that pushes me to want to do more or to want to reach further. I don't, I think of not have how far we come, but how far we still have to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what black history means to me. It's a reminder of how far I still need to push myself, push the others around me to keep going, keep moving forward, find something new, build our communities, find something to expand on. And because it just didn't end with, you know, the era of a Dr. Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. This is shit that goes on and that goes on and that goes on until we're no longer on this earth. It's going to always be a fight. It's going to always be a struggle. And I think a lot of us, you know, we just dropped the baton, you know what I'm saying, on continuing the work. And because it is, it's a grueling work, it's a tiring work. And a lot of people are afraid to get out there on the battlefield and really fight for us. They're scared, which is, which, which is okay, you know what I'm saying, because it's not meant for everybody. But let's not knock down the people that do go on the battlefield and that go in the trenches. You know, it's okay to have an opinion. But we do so much damage talking about our leaders and the people that's in office. Now, I ain't talking about no damn Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. <laughs> but I'm talking about like all our regular, you know, elected officials in our communities, and yeah. in our cities. You know what I'm saying? We put these people in office and then we dog them out. But let's find, you know, some resolutions and some solutions and some and let's create some bills and pass some bills or whatnot like that that could really benefit our black people. It's, it's easy to tear down your 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 city leader or your community leader. It's, it's easy to talk trash. It's always but, easy to do the negative. But what the hell are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So I see a lot of people even talk about, you know, Mayor Roz Baraka or whatnot like that and some of the things that, he, you know, he does in the city and they try to blame him for the lead water and all that. But I'm just like, do y'all not understand? That's a man. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And he still has constituents, his citizens. You know, he runs the city, but... We also got to make sure some shit happened too. Right, we the ones right. that occupy the space. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's easy to tear down and put it on the person that's in charge or that's quote unquote in power right. mm-hmm. or whatnot. But do they really hold the power? Pointing, no. Pointing, the community holds the power. Right. Pointing fingers is so much easier than take, so much taking easier accountability. Yeah. But we have to stop doing that and we have to take accountability for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't see all, and, and nine times out of ten, the people that's complaining is the people that you never see on the front lines, or the people that you never see in in, in the news or in the papers, or the people that never bring awareness to none of the shit going on. Mm-hmm. But soon as a rally or something going on, oh, they out there putting mm-hmm. out literature, putting up shit on trees and on people's lawns or whatnot like that. But when it's time to do when it's time real to do the right work. thing and to do the real work, nope, no show. We gotta change that. So. Who would you say is your most influential figure in black history? Barack Obama right now. You would say he's the most influential. Why? Why him? Um, just the grace and the dignity that he carried, even when he was in office and even the things that he still do for humanity or whatnot like that. And, 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 you know, he, he's somebody that doesn't tear down at all. You know what I'm saying? Even with all the shit that, you know, Trump is putting us through and the things that this country is going through, this man still, you know what I'm saying? uphold his dignity and he knows how to insult you without really insulting you you know what i'm saying to where you can still walk away with some dignity but leave you with a provoked thought you know what i'm saying to go out there and maybe just change a little bit of something so i, I just think what him and his wife did and what they exemplified when they were in office is something that's going to stick with me for forever and outside of 
in our time, we never thought we was going to see a black president, even though it was the 21st century, the 21st century, you know what I'm saying, and we knew anything was possible. It's still, you know, before he got elected president, it was something that still was far stretched from our damn minds that we was going to see a brother that looked like us or that was a black and brown complexion that was going to be in office running the free world, the leader of the free world. We wasn't thinking about that. You know what I'm saying? And now when you open up the history, bro history books, you know what I'm saying? You see all these white guys. And then you see that one black man. Word. It feels good. Yeah, it looks yeah, good. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned him because I was watching All Star Weekend and they'll give you like the um they'll give you like um behind the scenes of, you know, some of the community service that the players do. Mm -hmm. And Barack Obama pulled up on like all the young players and the way he introduces himself to those players, you would have thought He's known them forever. Mm -hmm. He'd be like, "Oh, like what's going on?" Like he 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 uh he introduced himself to Zion. He said, "What's up, man? How's it going? I've been watching you. Um, how's that knee? Because he got he he hurt his knees. Like, how's that knee going, so man? Somebody that you don't even think will be taking uh, time to watch time you, to watch yeah. you, to yeah. even yeah. know what the hell is going on yep. with you. This man is sitting down and he's talking. Yep. He knows you to where when he meets you, he kind of know you on a personal yep. level yep. to even ask you." How's that knee doing? Yeah, how's that? Yeah, he's like, I watched you the other night. You put up thirty. You pretty good, man. Yo, like, like, and then he has some kids in there who's going to school. We said, you in school? We said, yeah. What year are you? He said, like, I'm a junior. He's like, all right. You doing good in school? He's like, yeah. Like the way he, he has the swagger to him and, to and make you feel you, good bro. about what you're doing Even in life, when, yo. You know, he put out his end of the year playlist, and you just like, damn, Barack Obama, <laughs> listen to the end. He got Jay Z. You know everything from country <laughs> to rap yeah. to gospel. And it's just, you know, it, you know, it just shows you, you know what I'm saying? Even the people that we sometimes look at and we put on a pedestal, you know what I'm saying? And that we look mm -hmm. at as our, you know, our, our hidden, you know, treasures or, you know, our, our, idols. our idols and our heroes. You know what I'm saying? Just to even understand that they're human too. They like some of the same things that we like. They shit just like we shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They piss like we piss. Yeah. And that's a lot of things that we don't, you know, a lot of times. Look at because we look at them in a sense like they're gods, and I don't look at nobody like nah. God. There's only one God, but, right? You know, um, but a lot of people that don't have a sense of faith or the views that I have, you know, what I'm saying they look at these people like a Beyonce, yeah. you know, her her cult, you know, what I'm saying <laughs> the Beehive, you know, yeah, they, you know, she's a god to right. them, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm saying and as talented she as she is, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not talking down on B, y'all. I'm not yeah. so don't come down on me. I love B. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a supporter of B. But, you know, they treat her like a god. You know what I'm saying? So, but just to even have that much influence on a person or one like that, if you're not using it right or you're not using your platform wisely or like that, you just really building and raising up another generation of, of, of lazy motherfuckers or people that's not, you know, um, solution makers or solution, you know, um, solution makers. Yeah. yeah. You know, just a bunch of, you know, people that's causing problems, that got a problem with everything. But where's the solution? Yeah, I mean, so I feel as though when you do have a platform, uh, a platform that high up or of a high ranking status, and we go back to Barack Obama, you got to use it to the best of your advantage. You know what I'm saying? To interact with the people and to come to where the people are. You know what I'm saying? And see the needs of the communities. Um, and I'm not saying that Beyonce and Jay Z don't do it, but you know, I, I just don't feel as though you should ever get so big or whatever like that to where people don't have access to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, I always want to be in a position to where, yeah, I, I, I want the wealth and I want the, the riches or whatnot, but I want it so that I can go back and I can invest it in my community. 
so that you can have access to me mm-hmm. or whatnot. And and I don't want to have to fear coming back to my neighborhood and I'm going to get shot either. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm exactly. trying to come back and pour into my neighborhood. Yeah. We have to get out of the habit of that too. You know what I'm saying? Of looking at people's success and being jealous and wanting to take them out or rob them of that success because he's suffering whatever mental illness we suffering with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, greed and jealousy is a terrible disease. It's a terrible disease because... You will look at a situation, look at the materialistics of what a person has or the money or a person's you know, um, vacations or whatever, just because you're looking on social media and it looks nice, but you don't know the cost, you know what I'm saying, uh, or the price that they had to pay to get to where they are. So a lot of times we want people lives and we don't know half of the shit that mm-hmm. they went through to get where they are. So I always tell people you got to be careful of what you ask for yeah. and who you're really looking at with a, a sense of jealousy or greed because you might not be able to handle that shit once you get it. Or not be able to handle the day-to-day shit that comes with it. You know, it's funny that you said Barack Obama. Because when I think of this question, I think of, I think of Malcolm. Malcolm. Malcolm X. And especially, shout out to Malcolm, too. We're going to clap it up for Malcolm and Obama. Yeah, shout out to Malcolm. This is for Malcolm and Obama. And if you saw that, that, and if you saw that documentary on Netflix, mm-hmm. I know that done sparked up a little controversy. And, you know, sparks up some, some good and valid questions. Yeah. What documentary on Netflix? I'm on Netflix, the um the Malcolm X documentary. Oh, I heard about that. About you know um the assassins and how a lot of that shit or you know people is um you know, connected that. to North or whatnot like that. It's on mm-hmm. Netflix. You need to watch it. Is a is a good. I didn't finish it all, but you know social media know how to ruin a bunch of shit for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, don't they see don't. It. But it, on, it, it, it's don't. got some rave reviews, like mm-hmm. rave reviews on um how good it is. But it's it's to the point to where I think that if I'm not mistaken, they're opening up that case again. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. on his whole assassination because the documentary done sparked up so many new clues and questions mm-hmm. to where now they have the the lawyers or the people that you know took on the the Central Park Five or whatnot like that. They done signed on now, I guess, to do the investigations on this mm. Malcolm X. Yeah, wow. Stuff. So. I, I could be twisting up some stuff, but between those lines, that that is something of you know what's going on. So why why do you say Malcolm X? Oh, no, I say well as a Muslim, when you know like the history of Malcolm and how how he developed, like he started with the Nation of Islam. He was one of the main one of the main recruiters and preachers for Elijah Muhammad at the time, mm-hmm. and everybody loved Malcolm's energy. They loved his charisma. They loved the way he speak. And a lot of people ask him. They'll say Barack Obama reminds them of Malcolm. The way that he speaks and he gives his speeches. Okay. Have you ever watched one of Malcolm's speeches and watched Obama's speech? It's kind of similar. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you realize he went to Mayhad, he went over to see Mecca and he met he uh, visited the Kaaba. He came back. He started actually teaching people what Islam really was, and that made a big impact. That's why we have the school um, Shabazz in North. It's named after uh, Al Haj Malik Shabazz was Malcolm X's name when he came back. I feel like if it wasn't for Malcolm, me as a young Muslim, lived off of Islam, you feel me? Yeah. Wouldn't exist in this world today. All right. So let me ask you guys this. When we're still on the topic of black history figures, who do you who would you say is the most overrated, if there is one? Who is the most overrated black history figure and why would you say they are the most overrated? Um, no disrespect. You know what I'm saying? Because very crucial to the times and you know, Celebrate this man every year, but I'll say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. My and man's right here. <laughs> I'll say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's because, you know, black history is not even taught in school. Unless you're somebody that's pro black and you just 
spread that wealth and that knowledge with your students, somebody like me who just don't care. And sometimes I just go off script of curriculum and I just start talking real life with my students and I start pouring into them. I'm going to hop in the classroom if I hear him doing it. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, it, it's not taught no more. It's, it's not something that's part of curriculum. You don't even really have social studies no more. And if it is, it's talking about revolutionary war and World War One, World War Two, all the shit that's not pertaining to our history. So you have a new group and a new generation of kids or whatever like that. And it's only going to get worse. They don't know nothing about, you know, nobody else. They don't know nothing about the history. I just was having a conversation with our students, you know, um, last week. And we were naming some some figures, people even in their community, some, you know, political figures or just leaders in their community or, you know, change agents in their community or just other people that they know about or that, you know, they've heard about, you know, that contributed in somewhat somewhat way to black history. And a lot of my students will only say Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X Shabazz. Those are the only two people that they really know about or that they heard about. And they still really don't even have a history behind those two men. It's just that they colored a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King. They heard Malcolm X's name come up or one like that. So they know a little bit about it, but they still don't even know the history. But those are the only people that they really, you know, know what they talk about nowadays. I didn't hear a Madam C.J. Walker. I had to explain to them and I had to teach them who Madam C.J. Walker was. They didn't know about um, a Thurgood Marshall. They didn't know, you know what I'm saying? They, yeah, they knew about Rosa Parks. They knew about that, but they only knew her. And when you say, what was she known for? Oh, she didn't give up her seat on the bus. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and to them, that's just so simple. You know what I'm saying? They didn't know what that really sparked in those days, you know what I'm saying, by her not giving up that seat. But I think when it comes into today's times, our kids don't know nothing else or nobody else but Dr. Martin Luther King. And it's because we're getting so far away from teaching that history. You know? So I guess that would relate to my next question, because my next question is, what does the black community need to do in order to take black history to the next level? Would you say reteaching it again or, or get back to teaching it to our kids? Get back to teaching it, putting it back into the classrooms. But on top of that, we need to start producing and doing things and taking our gifts and taking our fears into our own hands and 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 stop investing into other people and other things and put it back into our own communities. Black people are one of the most talented, gifted races of people, if not the, you know what I'm saying? So my thing is you put all this money into other communities. Chinese come into our communities, make buku money, buku dollars. We know how to cook our asses off. I don't care if we know how to bake some cookies. I don't care. I feel like let's take our resources, put them back into our community, put our dollars back into our own schools. Let's produce our own things. I just, I'm on this new thing with generational wealth. And I think in order for us to really get back that history or to even what he said, you know what I'm saying, to continue you know what I'm saying? The journey or the marathon. You know what I'm marathon saying? Marathon continues. The marathon continues. Shout always. out to Nipsey. And in order for that to happen, we need to change the dialogue and we need to do things that's going to reach the new generation and this new way of thinking or willing, without getting rid of those traditional values because that's what we are made out of and they need to know. But what can we do now to bring back, you know what I'm saying, that sense of morale in our communities? Because in the civil rights days, and everything, no matter how tough and troubling those times was, it was a sense of morale. It was a sense of class. It was a sense of dignity that those women and men had in those days. We don't have that sense of dignity no more. 
it's easy for us just to pick up a gun and shoot our fellow brethren or whatever like that and say, that's because, you know what I'm saying, you was on my turf, you was on my block, I don't like you because you're part of another set, you slept with my woman. It's so easy. You ain't hear about all that back in them days or whatnot like that. It was principle. It was morale. I wasn't killing my fellow, fellow brethren over nothing like that. But if anything, I was making sure he ate. You don't got a meal. I'm feeding you. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to go on these front lines and we're going to protest and we're going to do what we got to do hand in hand. And if, we, and if I fall, we're going to fall together. It, it's not that no more. So I think once we get back a sense of morale and we get back a sense of structure and we get back a standard to where children understand their worth and their value and how great they are and we instill in them that that's who they are. I think that we for sure. Um, who got? Who would you guys say is the most underrated Black uh, History figure? Underrated. It's. It, it, I feel like it, you can go down a list, I, and I, I can go down a list, and I can even say some people that's right in my own community or whatnot like that that would never get the national attention. But I, it, it's so many people, and the only thing that I can say is just those hidden treasures and those hidden figures that never get to the spotlight. Those people that work behind the scenes that don't even really want to be noticed. So I won't even put a name. I'll let you answer it, and you might put a name to somebody that you think is, you know... Um, underrated. Underrated. I would say uh, Noble Drew Ali. Who's that? Uh, Noble Drew Ali was a black man who... Uh, he was... I forget, I forget exactly how he did it. He was able to set up an individual state. He had a black state. Mm -hmm. And even though like, it was his... He was like an a independent territory within America. The way they got them was, when the uh, draft came, for the, uh, I forget which war, but the draft came, and he said, well, we're an independent state. That draft does not apply to us because your war isn't our war. But they got, they used that against him saying, well, you guys are still American citizens, so therefore, they locked them all up because they didn't draft. But the point, the point I'm making is he's underrated because even though they got him that way, he still was able to set up a, a foundational community and territory of black African-Americans or some, some say even Native Americans because he was, he was claiming that he was Cherokee. And I, I feel like that's something that we should uh, really highlight because a lot of our black history is also Native American history. And if you really pay attention to a lot of uh, non-African or non-colored folks taking credit Native American. They're getting all the uh, property stuff and all the things that's supposed to go to Native Americans. Those are going to white people now. But they're 8% Native American. Whereas a lot of African Americans who believe they're African American are actually Native American. Your ancestors actually come from this land. But you think you're black and you're from Africa. But Noble Drali was the highlight of that. So that's what I would say underrated. You know, because I always find stuff like that fascinating because I never even heard of him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that alone, I didn't know it was a black man that started his own damn, basically, colony. Was on Word scene. up. Yeah. You know that's fire. In, in those times. And that is, that's, that's, that's black history. Yeah. So um, I feel like these are the people that our kids don't know about. And that when I talk about our hidden treasures and mm -hmm. hidden figures, people that, you know, you want to know about unless somebody, uh, a scholar or historian, somebody that's really... You know, into digging it. deep or into that, you know what I'm saying, or that goes that far back, you know what I'm saying. Um, you wouldn't know about that, you know what I'm saying. So just even me sitting here right now and him saying that, that's giving me some shit. I'm ready to Google like and read up on this cat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, who was he? You know what I'm saying, because that's dope. Yeah. And I feel like our children, our black and brown babies, or just history itself, need to know about people like this. 
Because a lot of times we feel like a lot of things we're incapable of doing or whatnot like that. And we don't know. It's, it's people that came before us that did it already. Bro. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and to be honest, it probably was more harder for them to do it than it is probably for, for us. us to do yeah. it because we have more resources. So even when you look at people, you know, shout out to people like um, um, Akon. Yeah. He started his own city, you know yeah. what I'm saying, in Africa. for that question, too. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to Akon, too, doing his numbers over there in Africa. Yep, straight mm-hmm. up. Um, before we go out, I got one more question. Would it have mattered if Black History Month was uh, was never created? Like, do you really think it really mattered? Yes. Or what, would it would it have been created at some point in time? Oh, it was going to come. It was going. It come. was going to come. Yeah, and, I think and, it was always going to come. It, it, it was going to always come because we are as much as we are great people. We are intimidating people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the other race was always going to find us superior, but they was always going to be afraid of what. We can do. And that was one of the reasons why they kept us in captivity. That was one of the reasons why they wanted us so bad or wasn't like that or why they wanted to be like us so bad because we held all this power. We had all this melanin. That's why they raped our women and did all these different things. And, you know, our women was luscious and beautiful to the white men and had bodies, something that they never seen before. So you just look at all these different things. They wanted to be us so bad. Oh, wasn't like that. When you look at movies like um, Get Out, he was was telling you. You know what I'm saying? They wanted our strength. They wanted our eyesight. They wanted, you know, our, our skin tone. They wanted how our men were, you know what I'm saying, with, you know, working and everything. So when you look at things like that, that has those over and undertones that went like that, you got to really pay attention. Yeah. And you got to really dig deep or whatnot. And, and, and so much of what he was saying was, you know, these people wanted to be us so bad and to where they would go to the extreme, you know what I'm saying, to get whatever they could get from us. So... In those days, white people knew what they needed to do to, you know, um, keep us at, at a place to where we couldn't move forward. And, yeah. and, and we knew. And, and we knew, you know what I'm saying, especially when a civil rights moment, we knew what was right and what was wrong. But how we were trained and how the system and how the government was set up at the, that time to keep us captive. Yeah, yeah. Or whatnot. So, uh, you know, and it's sad to say, but a lot of our forefathers and ancestors died still fighting that good fight. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said we have to continue it. But if you say it, all of this, it, you know, I'm a firm believer what was going to happen, going to happen. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I can't say life would have been better without it. It was going to happen. It was going to happen. It was yeah. going to happen. Um, for me, <clears throat> when I think of black history, um, I don't only think of like the inventions and the, 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 the success. I also think of like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm big on family. So I think about how the black family has developed over time through black history. Um, we originally started as a family culture. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in time, it was broken apart through slavery, of course, and oppression. But I feel like we're getting that identity back in our time now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember, I know how, fathers black men they were deemed as men who did not like to take care of their children or like didn't like to be a part of their lives you see a lot of black fathers stepping up and stepping it up dads. exactly Shit, I, I, even stepdads i'm probably one of the mm. best stepdads out there yeah. you know what i'm saying i take that rule seriously i don't have no biologicals but i've been in relationship you know with women including my ex-wife or whatnot and and they came into the picture with children and um and i just feel as though you know if you're going to be with a woman the child you have to love that child you have to love what that woman comes with you have to love what's a part of that woman 
If not, it's just looked at as a hit it and quit it. And I always said, I cannot deal with no woman that has a child. You know what I'm saying? And just look at her as a hit it and quit it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just wasn't raised like that. You know Word. what I'm saying? Um, I can't do it. So if I'm going to deal with you in any sense. Hey, respect. I, you I'm going to get some crap up for that. Yeah, so if I'm going to deal with you in any sense, or especially on that level, if I'm going to take it to that level with you, I have to respect every bit of what comes with you, what came out of you. If not, I don't even need to fuck you. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't no, even need to. Oh, we good. You know, we got I, out of here. Oh, okay. I don't even need to do anything with you sexually or intimately if I don't plan on being here. Word. Especially when you have a child. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, and I feel like that's 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 a very important thing to um to work on as black men in our communities because what if you go into someone's life as a guy you go into some as a, into a woman's life who has a child and your only mindset is to hit it and quit it what you're not doing is you may have gotten your pleasure cool but now what you're doing is you're causing more hurt to a woman that probably did not deserve it already she's and probably stop saying you know well she knew what she was getting herself into well when were you going to be the man or when were you going to be the person to say, shit, I, I see where this is going and I see that I'm not ready for this or one like that. Let me fall back and let me stop entertaining this. I always say it's easy to say a person knew what they were getting themselves into, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you don't really know because everybody deals with different mental capacities at right. different times. Exactly. Like mm -hmm. And how they process their emotions or their feelings may not be how you processing your feelings and your emotions. And what you're able to handle and just walk away from, somebody else can't do that. Can't do it. Because their mindset is, all right, here's a man in my life. I'm look, you know, he's possibly going to be the stepfather of my son or my daughter. Um, and I strongly believe when it comes to community, it is very important for men to take accountability first for all of their actions. We are the head of community. So it's easy for us to blame the women. She knew what she was getting in herself into. That is a very toxic mindset to have because now you're taking that accountability away from yourself as a man. You're supposed to say, I see where this is going. Like you mentioned, let me stop right there. Let someone else who can actually be responsible and be that stepfather in her child's life. And my thing is, even if that's not a conversation that we had as a man, you have a child, you're a woman, and I would want your child to see their mother being loved properly. Right. I would want, uh, especially if you're raising a daughter, and I would want a daughter to see their mother being treated like a queen so that she can grow up to understand that she won't accept anything less from a man or a young man that's trying to court her or date her. Yep. And if you have a son... And you're not with his father, you know what I'm saying? He needs to see someone loving his mother properly in the right way, you know what I'm saying? So that he can grow up, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and treat a woman in the same exact manner or even better. But to where he don't even have to worry about his mother being protected because he got a solid stepfather or a solid dude that's in his life, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So I just feel as though even if those conversations aren't had it because you, you might both be walking into it with just the intent of, you know, I just want to fuck. But... It can't just be, to me, that's selfish when you have children. Yeah, for sure. You have children because if you're sitting down, you laying with anybody, and you're having sex, you know, hit it, quit it, whatever. When you have sex with somebody, it's a spiritual thing, it's an emotional thing, regardless of how you look at it. And, and, and women are more emotional than guys. So guys, a lot of times, you know, got an agenda of she got a fat ass, she got whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, they already got the sexual fantasy. And I'm saying women can't either, but I always say women know off rip if she's going to sleep with a dude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If a woman was to come in this room right now and looked at either one of us or wouldn't like that and her eye just went for whoever, she know off rip 
I'll give him some. Mm-hmm. But when like that, well, I'm not, he not my type. You know what I'm saying? It, it's that quick. So women already formulate, you know what I'm saying, these opinions and these emotions before they even have sex or like that. They know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and in difference with us, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times we don't really, and it's just for real. A lot of times when it comes down to just, you know, sexual intimacy or just a hit it and quit it, we don't really got a standard. You know what I'm saying? I right. did get hard. We just want to fuck real quick and just keep on pushing. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But a woman is more difficult. Yep. Well, that's that That was a very <laughs> powerful, powerful Nabra talk. talk. Um, Jarich, everybody. Give it up for Jarich one more time. Zod. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for coming on. Um, Thank you guys for listening to Nabra Talk. Um, To stay up to date with our latest episodes and additional content, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will be up and running very shortly, guys. Just be patient with us. But again, thank you for tuning in to Nabra Talk. I'm Gene the Genius. I'm Saad the Guru. This has been another edition of Nabra Talk, and we are out of here. Nava Talk is brought to you by Nava Productions.